You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. back to the woodsman podcast been busy here getting ready for archery season we are in the 60 day time frame of when archery season begins for the statewide season if you're one of them people that live in the special units regulation in 5c 5d 2b you get a little bit of a head start against everybody else but for the rest of us we are within 60 days of archery season got busy this weekend we were planting food plots Got everything planted on the one farm, all ready to go, uh, just shy of six acres, and all's in the ground, got it done in one day, got it sprayed, cleaned up, next day had a beautiful rain, seven-tenths of an inch of rain, you couldn't have written it any better, <clears throat> so looking forward to seeing how that comes up. Already had some germination in some of the small-seeded stuff, like the brassicas, the oats, some of that stuff that comes real quick with a rain already starting to come up this week so looking forward to seeing how that fills in so on to this week we're going to be doing another series on the pa bruiser bucks we got cole seitzinger with us this week and cole is one of those people you know i think we talk a lot you know how fanatical everybody can be over white tails but i mean you know you put somebody in the dictionary for fanatic about white tails um i think you could find cole's picture in um, you know, he is, uh, he's been a, a 365 day kind of whitetail person. He is <clears throat> father of three, a hardworking guy. He's working two jobs. He just started working at Lancaster Archery Supply. 
So if you want to meet Cole, um, you can find him there during the week. He is a full-time archery tech down there now. But we're going to talk about a story this year um, from 2020. He killed a deer that he called Mufasa. Uh, This was a deer. He had two years' worth of pictures. But it was a, a very unorthodox hunt in that the timing with a bow kill was later than you'd expect. He killed this deer in rifle season with his bow. And he killed it on an extremely small parcel. And the story behind that and the logic of how he went after that deer and was ultimately successful. And you're going to learn from Cole that, you know, as fanatical as he is, it's really, really hard to juggle family life. You know, he's at that phase where his kids are mobile. They're they're constantly moving. They're constantly doing something. And I think if you're an avid hunter and you've got a family... You know what that's like, too, and Cole kind of shares with us how he spends his time in the woods and how he is smart about when he spends his time and tries to handle it how he can to be successful. You know, this wasn't just a once-in-his-lifetime killed a mature buck. Cole is somebody who's been on mature deer for a long time. He's got some good places he hunts, but he's always looking for the next best place, and that's what sets him apart from so many other people is he's constantly looking for that next big mature buck that he can go after. So kick back, and I hope you enjoy this episode. I think that kind of transitions in kind of what we're talking about here. I mean, you're so so you're pretty uh, you're pretty adamant. You've been chasing mature deer now for quite a number of years and been pretty successful with it. Um, so last year you harvested. Uh, t- tell me about the buck. I don't remember how big it was. How big was it? Uh, so numbers on him, pretty much. He was five and a half years old. Um, I had him aged from deer age. Okay, and. Uh, I didn't ever get him officially scored, but in that contest we run, he scored 145 and some change. Nice. Um, so he's my biggest PA buck, and he's pretty close to my biggest buck ever. Is that right? I have a buck from Ohio that's up there, but I again, I never had any of them officially scored. So Nice. So Yeah, he was a good one. Absolutely. So a five-and-a-half-year-old deer, um, you know, Tell me a little bit about your process and after this deer, you know, tell me a little bit about your, your 2020 season until you harvested this deer. I mean, where did you start with this deer? Yeah. So it starts actually in 2019. Um, I saw this buck driving my kids to the babysitter one morning (laughs) and, uh, (laughs) I stopped and looked at him and he was bedded up on the edge of this wood lot, kind of under some apple trees. And um, I got like a crappy picture with my cell phone quick. Then I went and dropped the kids off. And long story short here, I started doing research because uh, I didn't have a buck that year to really chase. Okay. And uh, so it was, it was uh, this is already October. This is mid-October. And, um, I didn't have a buck, you know, to chase. So, but I was bouncing back and forth between some properties and I saw this buck and I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go do some work and knock on some doors and, and see if I can't get permission to hunt this, this area. And he was with another buck that actually looked a little bit bigger. 
Um, so I go knocking on doors. I knocked on like eight property owners doors. I got the phone number to one that lived out of the state. And, um, I heard no from about six of them. Okay. And I was kind of like giving up on it two weeks later. So later in October, I was like, you know what? There's one piece of property that's like half of this woodlot, but the, the owners didn't live there. So I went and tracked them down. Um, they weren't home. And, uh, I called them, left a message and there was one other property in this patch of woods that was not connected to a house, but the guy lived relatively close. So I had my kids with me and it was getting late and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go give this a shot. And I get there as he's coming home from work and we talked and this guy only owns like 0.33 of an acre. <laughs> wow. That's real small. But it just so happens to be one of the properties that I was knocking on, they gave me access through their property. If I was to get permission on these other properties I was trying to get to. Okay. So it just so happened to be the property that was right behind my access. And, uh, it was the perfect funnel for this connecting this woodlot to a smaller, skinnier patch of woods to, you know, it just goes on forever, wherever these deer go. And for them to come into this big patch of woods, they had to come through this third of an acre. I was like, you know what? This might work. Maybe I'll hear back from this other landowner and I'll have more eventually. Um, so that was it. That was my end. That so, was all I needed. So if you take that piece that you're describing, if you zoom out and look at the greater area, is this an agricultural area? Is this suburbs? Like what this, exactly does this, this look is like? This is more suburban. Yeah, this is more suburban um, than anything. Um, it's got a roadway on one side of it and then pretty much houses along the front side. And it's just a, a woodlot that's made up of a couple parcels some where the people own the houses there some that are just vacant land okay and uh so it's it's a suburban um sounds primarily I, like not, archery i'm not oh yeah only archery for sure actually the owner the landowner and stuff those conversations always go go well i believe that but um i got into it and they're like archery hunting like isn't that close to houses? I was like, yeah, I was like, you know, state law and is this and this, and you know, you can, you can archery hunt in, in an area like that. And I said, and it's actually quite popular. I think I even talked about the seek one guys. Is that right? And, uh, then was just like, you know, some, some people do it for management. Some people just do it for fun. And I was like, um, this is, I told them flat out. I was like, this is what I'm after. And it's, big mature buck and this is where they like to hide and they weren't hunters or anything and they were totally open to it so i was like couldn't believe it got in there so that was a monday evening 2019 um i'll fast forward a little bit through this went in tuesday after work and hung a tree stand like completely blind just going in this wood lot picking a tree putting a tree stand up this was right before dark 
I got done work late, went in Tuesday, hung the tree stand, hunted it for the first time that Friday. Um, and early morning I saw a lot of deer and don't, you know, I see this buck. He's got these big bladed brow tines hmm. and about 50, 60 yards away, he comes in group of doe. They're getting real nervous and because this was my first time in there, I had a lot of stuff to pack in and like get my tree ready. Mm -hmm. When I hung that stand, I literally just put steps up the tree. I didn't put a stand in. I just prepped steps up the tree and I trimmed up a couple branches and I was going to bring my tree stand in in the morning Okay. and hang it and hunt it. So that's what I did. So I had a lot of stuff with me. And one thing I didn't bring with that I do use and utilize a lot is my ozonics. Well, these doe and group of deer come in and they win me. They they were close enough that I could have shot, but the big buck stayed 60 yards away. Like big buck do. Like big buck do. He came in there, he stopped in the thick stuff, and he turned around and went back right back out the way he came. Um, later that day, I saw a really big buck that at the time I didn't know what it was. I, I called him like a 140-inch eight-point. And I just didn't get a shot. He came ripping through there looking for a hot doe and just would not stop. And I had no shooting lanes and it's really thick. So that was Friday. Um, Saturday afternoon, I trimmed lanes in there after I got done hunting. I didn't see him Saturday morning. Fast forward a little bit. Monday, perfect conditions. I go in. I kill my buck in 2019 out of that stand okay. one week exactly one week after getting permission in this property <laughs> that's not a bad rap all the deer all the deer pour through this funnel and um <clears throat> so i kill him 2019 this other buck with the big bladed brows he has a mohawk across his back across his neck so i called him mufasa from the lion king nice because of his mane. And you, because your so kids, it's just so relevant, right? Yeah, it was just perfect, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Worked out great. Um, he makes it through the 2019 season. And I have, you know, I was running cameras in there. I was like, this is awesome. Like, I killed this random buck. That buck ended up being a seven point, actually, not an eight point. But he went in the low 130s as a That's seven point. a heck point. of a seven point. <laughs> so, Yeah. So I was, I was thrilled with that. Did you, you know, age totally that random buck. I did get him aged. He was five and a half. Okay. So back-to-back -back years, I shot five and a half-year-old buck out of the same tree. Um, Mufasa is alive. I don't find his sheds. Um, go through all summer without pictures of him. Zero pictures of him in velvet. Um, I just assumed he was still around there because he was there through February. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm like, you know, okay, October's going to come. He lived in there in October the year before from the little bit of knowledge I had of him. Right. Um, October comes, I get my first picture of him October 6th, and he looks like almost exactly the same. He actually lost a point that he had between his brow and his G2. So this buck's a mainframe eight point with big bladed split brow tines and um first picture i got of him was october 6th i didn't have any plans to hunt in there 
because I wasn't getting pictures of him until the end of October, late rut. So I didn't even have a tree. I didn't have my tree stand in, but I had the steps in there and prepped. I had trimmed lanes back in September okay, so that I'd be ready for that. Um, I think I got some more pictures of him that week, first, second week of October. Um, my first hunt I went in, which was totally kind of something I don't do, but I went in in the evening. And for my access in this property is perfect. I come in right through this this back door of this house that, that gave me permission. Okay. And I have to walk like 50 yards from the back fence of their property right into the woods to my tree. So it's like park in and out and very little interference with any deer <laughs> in the whole area. Okay. Um, so I sneak in there October 28th mainly because I wanted to get my stand up and get everything good so that I could come back. Halloween was the day that I had picked to like get in there. But I went in there October 28th evening, nice hunt, saw a lot of deer, didn't see him. Um, October 31st that year, it, it was pretty cold. So Halloween morning, I go in there, still didn't really think he was around. But I just knew that time of the year that him or some other buck could show up. And I actually had pictures of a really big 10 point back in July in velvet. And he only came through one time. Okay. And for early July, I knew he was going to be close to 150 inch buck. Nice. Um, so there was the outside chance that that buck could show up. So October 31st, I go in there. I get into my stand super early. Um, I like to get in quiet. I like to sit and let everything just settle and, and, you know, sit in the dark for an hour. I don't, I don't mind that one bit. I'm sitting there in the dark and I kind of, it gets light at around seven 30. I think then sunrise was like a little after seven 30 and it's only like right at seven o'clock and it's still really dark, but you know how that goes first light. I think shooting is like 7.05 at that time. Um, I hear your grunt, and it's like playing tricks with my head because I can't really even see through my shooting lanes that good. But I see a deer go right across my shooting lane in front of me, and I quick look to my next shooting lane, and I can't see. So I put my binoculars up, and I see this deer go into my shooting lane, and instantly saw it was Mufasa through binoculars. I was like my first morning in there, like through binoculars, this thing, this buck's got six and a half inch bases. Wow. So he's just massive. And he was at 20 yards through binoculars. I just couldn't believe it. I was like, Oh my God. And I quick put my binoculars down and I was like, could see the outline of his butt and back. But I was like, I didn't even know what time it was at that time. I was like, oh my God, like that's him. No shot. He turns out, I checked a trail camera that morning. He followed a doe through there. I didn't know it at the time, but a big adult doe came right through there with him right behind her. Okay. And they go up, they go up into the corner of this woodlot. Now the woods that I'm hunting isn't that big. And from the few times that I've hunted it, it's like, I'll see the same deer at least twice a day, like at least. And 
there's a good chance they're within 40 to 50 yards of me if they come down into the funnel. Just nasty thick kind of so deal? So, like, it's just nasty thick, crazy thick. And I'm only on a third of an acre, so, like, I can literally only shoot 30 yards in front of me and 30 yards to my right and 30 yards to my left. Yep, that's it. <laughs> Everything, everything behind me is pretty much the neighbor's property and anything past 30 in two directions would be off the property. Okay. So like I'm very limited and I'm, and I'm fine with that because it's so thick in there. You can't shoot far anyway. The farthest I can see is the edge of the wood line. I can see out into the field where this apple tree is that I first saw him bedded under. I can see out into that grass and that's where a lot of the deer come from. So that's kind of cool. I can see out there. So I'm waiting all that whole day. I'm waiting for him to come back. Uh, and I, at this point, I didn't know he was with a doe because I didn't check that trail camera until after the hunt, um, which makes perfect sense. He was locked on with a doe, and they went and bedded up there in the, the other corner of the property. I call it the property, but it's like woodlot that i'm hunting kind of just the way you would expect um, at that time of year you know if something funnels through you were playing yeah. it that way and it actually worked that way you just didn't connect at that time it worked he just needed to come through a half an hour later exactly <laughs> um so all day i wait i see four or five other buck one nice buck that i i don't really have a name for him but he's got a really messed up one side and he's got half a tail um and then a couple smaller buck and all of those buck I could have shot and came by me more than once. <laughs> and all of them funneled up to that corner where he went. And then they would all bounce around and come back. Now I know he was up there probably locked on with this doe. And all these other deer were coming through to investigate it. Um, so that's October 31st. I, I hunted all day. He never came back. I then hunted two more times in the first week of November, all day sits, and I saw a couple small buck. I never saw him. I never got a picture of him again, and I didn't have any vacation because I was on that other job. And um, it's getting yeah, rough. so I didn't get to hunt after that. Yeah, I was I was stuck to Saturdays. And he wasn't there much, so I just didn't really know that I was going to have an opportunity at him. So at this point in the game, Rifle do you have season. less pictures of him at this point in the season than last year, or is it about the same, or you're just kind of waiting for a hot doe at this point? Yeah, way, way less pictures of him this time okay. in 2020. And I was pretty much banking on the rut, bringing him in there for a few days. And uh, so I hunted... That first week in November, I hunted two two all day sits. I didn't hunt him again. I think I hunted him November fourteenth. Would have been like the last weekend of the season. That sounds right. If I'm not mistaken, I hunted him that day. Um, I had a really good day. A lot of deer, just not him. And then, then you have the two weeks until rifle. So no pictures of him. In between those two weeks, I have I had two cell cameras in there that like for sure if he was in there i feel like i would have got him um rifle season comes i decide i don't want to hunt in there in rifle season even though i would i would take my bow right it just i don't know 
it just didn't add up. Like I didn't want, for one, I didn't want the person that gave me access in there to think I was going in there with a gun. Mm-hmm. And it just, to me, I was just like, you know what? I'm going with my family. I'm going up to my cabin. This is what I do for rifle season. That's my tradition. So I go up there and don't I have an opportunity at this beautiful public, I call them the public 10, this public land, 10 point buck. First day rifle with my bow. He comes by me at like 10 yards. I come to full draw and he was like running to catch up with this hot doe and would not stop. And like, this is first thing in the morning in gun season. Um, I think he ended up getting shot that day by somebody on public land. Okay. But, uh, I was absolutely crushed. That deer was awesome. And to do that in rifle season with a bow is just, that was the closest I've ever come to a buck like that. And it's almost unheard of, especially in Pennsylvania. I mean, you hear about other people doing it in other States and some dedicated bow hunters, but I don't really know anybody that's done that in rifle season with the bow and PA on mature buck. Yeah. Yeah. I did it in 2015 on a four and a half year old buck. Okay. Um, that was the first time and I, I hunted for a lot of years with a bow and rifle season. Um, so 2015, I got one, he ended up being four and a half. I shot him the first Saturday of rifle. So that I couldn't even believe that buck came by my tree. Like that was the buck I went to hunt that morning. And I just, it, it just didn't make sense that he came by me. <laughs> it's one of those things where you I dream it went. over and over in your head, but so many times you sit in a stand, you imagine something yeah, and you unfolding just, and it doesn't. So then the one time it does, it's like, wow, that, that read the like, script. There's no way that happened. That read the script. There's no way. Yep. <laughs> and he did. And he, that doe walked by me perfectly. And she just got a little too far away from him. And as soon as he got like 10 yards behind my tree, he lifted his head up, locked on her and was like, you're getting too far away. I'm cutting my distance and started trotting. He had no idea I was there. He was just locked on this doe. There was like seven or eight buck harassing this doe and and running all over the place. It was crazy. That's like, it was one of the best ones I've ever had. (laughs) That's like your, uh, your made in the shade kind of dream there. Yeah, yeah. It was it was picture perfect until it wasn't. So you couldn't connect on this ten pointer the first day upstate. So how did that transition yeah. into uh into the rest of leading up to Mufasa? So back back to Mufasa, opening day of rifle, don't I get like seven or eight cell pictures of him? No all kidding. around my tree stand down there. <laughs> opening day arrival and bam he was there all day pictures in the morning pictures midday pictures in the evening if i would have went there and hunted short of you know blowing it on the way in or him smelling me i feel like he would have been dead <laughs> and opening day was a saturday right this year so um i ended up having kid duty on sunday because my kids stay at the cabin with us and I, you know, I basically just committed to that. Like I wasn't going to take them out hunting, but we were going to stay at the cabin. My brother and nephew were out and uncle and stuff like that. Right. So I didn't go hunt Sunday. Didn't even really think of any, of like even going after Mufasa. Got pictures of him, I think Sunday too. <laughs> 
So this I is just right. adding insult to injury at this point. Yeah, it was just like, but in my, I was still heartbroken from this 10 point that I should have killed. Basically wrote my season off. Like I had my chance. I'm not, I can't ask for anything else. I'm not greedy. <laughs> like that was awesome. I should have had a, a buck. Go back to work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday. I get a picture of him in the morning. Mufasa in daylight. Friday, I get a picture of him in the evening and I'm done work and I'm, and it was raining Friday and I'm talking to all my buddies and my brother and they're like, dude, what are you doing? And here I'm planning on going back to this stand up in my cabin to where I, I'm 95% sure this 10 pointer is dead, got shot by somebody else in the rifle season. Mm-hmm. And they're like, why would like, no, like Mufasa's there. You got the pictures of him. He's there right now, Friday evening. You have to go in there tomorrow morning. And I'm just like, yeah, I guess you're right. (laughs) And I, I switch gears. I get all my stuff ready to go in there. I'm like, all right, I'm going to hunt in there Saturday morning. And I was like, I'm I'm not going to hunt all day. I'm just going to, just going to go in and see what happens. And I get in there Saturday morning. Um, this is funny because most of the time I'll get dressed at my spot and like, I tend to be as scent free as possible. Sure. With this, with this property where I park at, at the house that I park at with the access I have, I pull right in, I park and I don't want to mess around there. So I park and I, I'm fully dressed. I get fully dressed here at my house. I spray my truck down. <laughs> I drive with my ozone generator running. I get out of my truck, grab my bow, and I'm from my truck to my tree stand in like just minutes. Okay. <laughs> I like to just get there and get right in and let everything settle. So it rained Friday. Everything's wet. I'm like, this is perfect. I can slip in here with no flashlight. I can get in my stand. Usually there's not a lot of deer there through the night. Um, they, you know, wherever they're going, there's a couple fields around there that they can go into. Um, and they just seem to stay out, out of the woods okay. for the most part. So I get in there again, it gets light a little after seven, I think. I start seeing a group of doe coming off that grass field 50, 60, 70 yards away. And they're all funneling right towards me for whatever reason. This is like a, a pinch point, but these deer make it even more of a pinch point and only use the one very far corner of the property, even that I'm allowed to hunt. Okay. And it's like the smallest section of wood, but they go down there and just disappear. And they bed down there, and it's so thick I can't even see them. <laughs> but they're just on the other side and of you. They're just, yeah, they always do that. And if they come to my if they come to my left side, I can shoot them, like, pretty much anywhere that they can get by them. But if they go down to that right side, they just disappear. And it's, like, so weird because it's so thick. And they do this all the time. I've seen it. 
so this group of doe, I think it was eight or nine doe coming in. I could have shot one of them. One of them came through my lane at like 30 yards right in front of me. And the rest stayed down there and they kind of go right to where I walk in. And then they don't cross where I walk in all the time, but sometimes they do. And they're all kind of hanging out down there and I'm starting to lose them. They're either bedding down or, or getting farther away from me. Um, and don't I look left and this is all first thing in the morning. I look left and I see this rack coming into my shooting lane. And at first I thought it was that half tail buck, to be honest. Okay. I pull my binoculars up for a half a second and I see it's him and I'm like, Oh my God. And he's walking into my lane. So at this so point he's he in bow range already. He's in bow range and he's quartering to me. And if, I don't know how I would have had to have been ready. Where he came from is where that doe and him went that one day. Okay. And I didn't expect deer to come from there. I usually expect deer to go there and come from the other side. You're talking morning hunt, going back to bed. Morning hunts, yeah. Yep. I usually, but it kind of makes sense. If all these doe are bedding down on my right, maybe that's where he was heading. Sure. I don't know. He didn't make he didn't make it that far. <laughs> So he's going through this lane on my left. And the tricky thing about this is I had to make a really fast decision. I didn't want to shoot him quartering two, but he was also going through the lane before I would have drawn back anyway. If he turns to his left, he goes into the heart, the whole wooded property and he can go, he can turn left and he can go straight away. And I'll never get a shot at him right. or see him again unless he would come back. Or he doesn't turn hard left. He angles straight in front of me, and I have two more beautiful, like, 20-yard lanes that he would have to walk through to get to these doe bedded on my right. So I'm like, my first thought is don't even risk it. If he turns left, you need to shoot because you don't know if he's going to turn left and come back in front of you. Yeah, take the first available so, shot, right? Yeah, is basically what went through my head. So he gets his head out of that lane, and I see this window right outside my shooting lane. There's a big tree, and then just just this this window, and I just see him going right to it. And I was like, "That's it." I know, I know, it was between twenty and twenty-five yards. I was like, that's your window. And I drew back and I saw him going into it and he turns from quartering to me to perfectly broadside. Like he turned left, like he was going to go up and away from me. Right. And I stop it. I stop him in that window. The craziest thing, which this will never happen to me again, especially now that I work in a bow shop. <laughs> My peep sight is turned like 180 degrees. <laughs> I'm at full draw. And that's all I see. All I see is the side of my peep. And I can't, like, I can't move it with my face. And I'm not letting down. <laughs> so I did what felt natural to me. I closed my eyes. This is all while I'm, like, pointing right at him, and he's looking my way. I close my eyes in an instant. I anchor 
just like I always do when I practice and shoot bow. And I anchor solid, and I say to myself, when you open your eyes, it doesn't matter where that peep is. It can be as blurry as it needs to be, and you know that you're anchored where you always are and that if it was straight, it would be lined up with your pins. So I close my eyes, I open my eyes, I look right past my sideways peep that's blurry. I focus on my pin, put it right behind his shoulder, pull the trigger, and I don't think he ducked. I don't think he did anything. But I hit him just a little bit high, like above the heart, below the spine, and he dropped on the spot as fast as you possibly could. Hmm. And it was like I, I broke something in, in his neck or back even though it wasn't high. I never could figure it out even after I skun him. But uh, he dropped right on the spot right there in the opening. I put another arrow on, shot again within like a, oh man, 10 seconds, not even. And he expired right there instantly. That's a perfect and kind of trap job like on a, half a an hour. .33 acre property. Oh, yeah. So two for two, my first buck, I double lunged him, but he ran 30 yards and didn't know what happened. And fell over dead right in the middle of the property I could hunt. Granted, I do have permission on all the neighboring properties to go track a deer. Good, good. I made sure that even without permission to hunt, that, hey, if if push comes to shove and a deer I hit runs on your property, can I contact you or can I get permission? And all of them said yes. So Good, good, good. I had that going for me. <laughs> but he didn't. He, he died right there on the spot right where I needed him and um Mufasa was down to not even I mean I guess a little over a year two two racks worth of chasing him and uh that happened to be December 5th too so two times December 5th in rifle season I was able to connect on a buck about that I was December targeting with the bow something about and a lot of this has to do with the spots that I like to hunt. I like to hunt places that the deer go when they're pressured. So a couple things that and, are real interesting, Cole, that I'm, I mean, I've picked up on this whole story. So, I mean, number one, sounds like you don't gun hunt anymore. Is that correct? I have not. I gun hunted one time. That was in 2009. Um, and that was in Canada. Okay. Um, and before that, I couldn't even tell you when I hung up the gun. It was, I shot a buck when I was 15 with a bow. And I shot a buck the year before that. So since I was 14, probably. So China, when I was 14, I think I might have shot one with a gun. And that was the last year I hunted with a gun. So that kind of draw with a, with a stick and string just kind of just ate on you since then. It just does it for me. And my dad never hunted with a gun. And for some reason, that was always just just something I enjoyed. Okay. And I'll tell you what, there is nothing sweeter than releasing an arrow during gun season on a mature buck because you hear all those gunshots ringing out, and it's just like nobody knows. Nobody. The world does not know. <laughs> it's just silent, you and that deer. And there's just something special about it. Yeah, I think there's something special about it, period, with the bow. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i as passionate of a bow hunter, too. I mean, I don't have a problem taking the gun out sometimes. I, I still do. But uh, 
Yeah, you know, I, I don't have a problem with anyone that takes it. No, no, either. it's personal. By no means. Personal preference. Um, but uh, there's just something very special about shooting them with the bow. So, and that's a kind of a, a neat, interesting, interesting thing going on there. Um, so the second thing, you know, I'll I, tell you what, it didn't come easy. <laughs> I went nine, I went nine years one time in Pennsylvania without killing a buck. That's tough. From when I was 14 till I was like, I don't even know. Well, not four. Four. I killed one when I was 16. So technically, it was from when I was 16 till I was 25. I think. But you had a goal set in mind, and you kept pushing to get that goal. Um, you know, I think. It yeah, and that wasn't too. just to kill one with a bow either. I at that point I had stepped up to to like three year old and an older deer, and you know since then I've even raised the bar higher. And I, I probably would not shoot a three year old at this point. So, and that's the that's the kind of the next thing that's really interesting. So you're consistently going after mature buck. You do it on pretty regular basis here, at least in the ball game, and you've been pretty successful shooting some four and five year old deer in Pennsylvania, nevertheless, which is hard. So, how do you, yeah. how do you decipher like you know you're your family man, you got a wife, you got kids, you got a job, everything else. So first of all, how do you go about deciding? where you're going to hunt because you have more than one place to hunt, correct? I do. Um, I think it makes it easier for me. Well, I don't get a lot of time to hunt because of my job, because of my family and it's only getting harder. (laughs) Three kids. Now I run my own company. I work full time for Lancaster archery. It's, it's only getting harder. Right. So I don't get a lot of time to hunt. But what makes it easier for me to decide where I'm hunting is I'm so specific with the deer that I hunt that there's usually only one or two that I'll chase or that I want to shoot. So nine times out of 10, I'm going to a spot where I only think I have a chance at one of those one or two buck that I can, that I would want to fill my tag on. And this has come from the and process most, of years of camera history, shed hunting, yeah. that type of thing. Yeah. So majority of the time I have a good history with these deer, um, between, you know, three or four properties that I hunt regularly up in my cabin. We, we usually have history with all of them. And I usually have sheds and years of pictures. So that's how I determine what's what's something I am willing to chase. Okay. Last year, we had a buck that was probably the highest scoring buck on our property. And I could not convince myself that he was older than three and a half. And I got everybody on board to let him go. And they did. My brother-in-law passed him at 20 yards twice. And this is a PA buck that would score in the 140s probably. Right. And uh, so, like, it's it's always about age and maturity and and that challenge to me. It's not about the score of the rack. It's the ultimate chess match. Um, it really is. And having the history with them adds just another element to that. Now there's something to say for this property that I shot my last two buck on. And I don't know if I'll ever shoot another buck there again, but to shoot two five and a half year old buck there, one that was complete bonus buck and another that I targeted. It's like, that doesn't happen. And I just know from one year to the next that 
that it's it's never the same. It's not like I'm going to go in there and sit that same stand and kill another big buck. I just don't see it happening. I feel like there's not one there for me to chase this year. Um, so my targets, I don't really have anything set this year. But back to your original question, that's what makes it easy for me to decide where I want to hunt because I don't just there's I usually don't go to just a stand hoping that something shows up so like Like it's there has to be a buck that i'm after (laughs) right so i mean first of all finding a mature deer that's not always an easy task and you know i'm kind of in the same boat that you're in you know i was able to harvest a a a dandy of a buck last year myself and now going into this year yeah this is the first year in in a number of years that i still don't have a deer that i'm just overly excited about but i mean you said earlier like three or four places that you're looking have you been most of the time able to find a deer of the age class and maturity that you want to go for among them? Or are you always looking and scouting for that next place, little piece to find a mature buck? Yeah, I'll tell you what. In 2019, I told you I didn't really have a buck to chase. So I don't remember. In 2018, I had two bucks that I really wanted. One I chased for three years. He ended up getting shot in rifle season. Mm-hmm. I ended up shooting the other one and that buck was six and a half. Okay. And, uh, so then 2019, I didn't really have a buck to chase. I didn't have history with something. There was one buck that is actually still alive that I would shoot, but I just never pursued. Um, and that's what led me to that property then because I was still looking. And when I got that visual of that buck, and started doing my homework and got permission to hunt in there, it opened up some doors for me for sure. And at that, I did not have a mature buck to really go after that year. And that, that created opportunities for me for two seasons now, which was awesome. Absolutely. With that in mind, we had a five and a half year old, a six and a half year old, another five and a half year old, and probably two more that were over four. So we had five other buck over that four and a half year old mark just on one property Okay. to to hunt last year outside of the buck that I shot in Mufasa. Um, we ended up, my nephew shot one. He was a five and a half year old, eight point, didn't score anything. I don't even know if we scored him to be honest. Okay. He, he just had a crappy rack, but it was five and a half. And I'd followed that deer for three years. I never pursued him. I did see him that morning. I drew back on that 10 pointer. And then my nephew shot him the next day with a gun. Okay. Um, my brother out of that same tree that I drew back on that 10 pointer, he shot a six and a half year old this past season that we were targeting for, for three years. We had multiple sheds to him and that buck was really tough to hunt. Um, but we set up a stand just for him. And fortunately enough, my brother, that's a whole nother story, but my brother went in there the first time we left it go all season. First time specifically for that buck. Then he shot him at like 1030 that morning. Okay. And that's, that's a whole nother story, but we had some buck to chase last year. This year, on the other hand, we have that one that I was telling you about that's still alive. He was five and a half last year. He's six and a half this year. He will only score in the one twenties. He's been that way for the last three years, but he is just a tank body old buck. We have four sheds to him. 
he would probably make the top of the list right now um if i had to go hunt like tomorrow right right <laughs> if i don't if i don't come up on anything else before season if you don't find it. anything in the next 60 days yeah well. exactly he's he's top of the list that's the buck that i said i've never really pursued um i passed him four years ago and then i saw him three years ago as a three-year-old uh, we have a lot of history with that buck. Right. So at this point, the history alone and the age that he has makes him like the ultimate trophy this year. Yeah, something special when they get to that age class and you can uh, you can get a get an arrow in him. Yeah, he's not going to be easy to hunt. I have a feeling it's going to take a doe in the rut or a later season feed pattern of some sort. So one thing I'd like you to tap into, because I think you're no different than any other person living the busy lifestyle that we have. Um, you've been consistently getting on some big deer over the past few years. How do you go about deciding when you're going to use your vacation or when you're going to use your time? Do you focus focus solely on the rut mostly, or do you usually generalize deer and deer behavior in history, or how, do you, how does that work for you a lot of the time? Yeah, that's a great question, and the answer is going to be different from two years ago to now because two years ago I had a lot of flexibility with my vacation. So back then... I would target a specific deer based on patterns and history, like this buck I called Blades. He was only around early season. I took off the whole first week of the season to hunt that buck, and I got really close. The first week of archery season. And it didn't work out. First week of archery season, yeah. So that was October. And I was really close. I was on him. I actually was at a wedding opening day. And he was like 20 yards in front of my tree stand two hours before dark. <laughs> I've been there before. <laughs> so that whole first week then I hunted him and I was playing cat and mouse. I was, I was one spot. He was another, but he was daylight active. So back then that was based on history. I took off for him. Um, when it comes to the rut, I don't take off a whole week. Typically I will take off leading up to those weeks i will be like thursday friday saturday cold fronts come weather looks good i'm taking off you know friday saturday and monday or something okay like usually an extended weekend or like two or three days in a row i'll try to do um so i could do that with my old job now it's going to be a little bit harder um not having the vacation i'm going to be very limited to my days off but even the kids are going to are gonna soak up a lot of that time. So this year, I'm banking on all of Iowa to fulfill my hunting needs, uh, which that was a long time coming to get that tag. So right. I'll be pleased if I can fill that in Iowa. And my oldest son is going to be hunting this year. Um, he's a youth mentor, but he's still going to be on my tag. Okay. So if I, if I can get him out hunting a few times and then if a buck comes, I will let him shoot the buck and fill my tag. You're into a whole new realm of things now, buddy. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure if that happens this year, you can pretty much (laughs) say I'm going to be focused on my kids for the next 
16 years of hunting. <laughs> and that'll probably make your season just the same. Oh, yeah, yeah. I I would be more than thrilled. I do have a couple buck that I would put any, pretty much any, you know, new hunter or my kids hunting. I opened up my property to a lot of, a lot of friends and their kids and, and just, I have a lot of buck that, that I have on camera right now that anybody would be thrilled to shoot one that would probably push close to my top three biggest PA buck, but I swear up and down, he's a three-year-old. So uh, short, short of my friends shooting him or my son shooting him, I will be not shooting him. Okay. Which is fine with me. If I see any of them shoot him, that would, that would make my season just as quick. Yeah. There's a, there's a contentment with that. You know, there's something else when somebody else gets that fulfillment that, you know, you've experienced, but it's a personal standard. And I think a lot of people, you know, especially in Pennsylvania, I'm going to say this gets a bad rap that, you know, people want to shoot a big deer. You know, it's, it's has nothing to do with anybody else. You know, it, it's your personal yeah, standard. I... There's nothing wrong with that. You know, I'll, I'll say this too. Sh- trying to shoot, big mature deer it is a very selfish thing but that's okay it's what you want to do and you don't have to let anybody else change that standard for you i agree you know people argue it till they're blue in the face you know for both directions but i don't care what anybody else does and i am 110 percent content with not filling a tag and i think that's what makes it easy for me because I just enjoy seeing all these deer. If I pass a three-year-old buck, that's a win for me. And you get to keep hunting. And I get to keep hunting, yeah. Yeah. It's a win for me, and I just enjoy it. And if I don't fill a tag, so be it. You know, when we that's started this, when we started this series, um, we put that disclaimer out. Like, look, there is nothing wrong if you go out and you want to shoot the first legal deer, and that makes you happy and puts you know meat on the table. Go ahead. That's what it's all about. But the whole point of us wanting to do this is, you know, there there are people like you, Cole, and there's people that you know we had on the podcast that, you know, they're trying to do what you know so many people have watched on television for 25 years of trying to shoot mature deer. It's here and it can be done. It's just it's a it's a mindset, and it sounds like your mindset has really evolved over time to get to where you are in your hunting career. Yeah, it's a it's a huge progression. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I remember I remember being 16 and shooting a 13 inch eight pointer like he was a Boone and Crockett buck. And that's what it's all about. That's how you and evolve. Like, losing my mind and being so pumped up. And to me, I I love I love sharing those stories and seeing those deer that I've shot. And it is such an evolution. And I enjoy the challenge and, you know, some people go to traditional archery for a challenge. I go after the oldest buck I can find <laughs> if, if that's possible, you know, I'm right there with you, buddy. So if, if you could do, this is kind of a vague question. I'm going to try to condense it as best as I can, but you know, you've had, you know, your, your progression of 16 on to where you are now of trying to hunt mature deer. Um, you've kind of, you know, whittled it down to some of the things we've discussed tonight, but is there any one specific thing that you've really learned has helped you 
target mature deer and whether it's you know or is it personalizing them in trail cameras is it times of year is it certain you know what are some things that really give give you an edge you feel harvesting a mature deer uh it's hard to pinpoint one thing um if i had to put it to something i would say in my younger years of doing it I wasn't as persistent as I am now. Okay. And I would I would just kind of randomly hunt stuff. And for lack of better terms, I would waste my hunts. And now I'm, I'm very persistent in what I'm set to do. And I do it until it becomes a success. <laughs> and I've been fortunate the last couple of years that it's worked out. I have no doubt in my mind that I'm going to go years without filling tags. And, uh, I think being persistent and using my time because it's more valuable to me now, because I don't have that much time to hunt that I do everything with a purpose. And that does not come easy because if you, (laughs) if you would talk to me any week during hunting season, I would be drilling you with questions on man what should i do well i could do this or this or this or this like i am the most indecisive person and it's just don't let that get you down keep doing what you do be persistent with it and it's going to pay off it's part of the chess match and i think yeah it is i think a lot of it has to do with experience because when i was younger i don't know I don't know what I was doing wrong back then, but I was doing something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and as I as I progressed and got more experience, it's become a little bit easier for me to say no to certain situations, whether that's just not hunting because the wind's wrong or just not going into an area because it's not the right time of the year yet or understanding the way these deer are more. And that's where it comes back to I like hunting pressured deer in areas that I know they like to be when they're pressured. If I can get into a spot that's not the typical right off the road, you know, tree stand that you hunted 12 years in a row, if I can just tweak it a little bit, whether that's 50 yards or 250 yards, and get in deeper and be more aggressive, but plan it right, I'm going to do that every time because they don't need to move much and that they could still be right there under your nose. Right. And if you don't do that, you're never going to catch up to them. And one thing I've picked up too, you know, talking to you in the past and, you know, talking with you and you telling the story tonight, you know, it definitely seems that you're somebody that's striking when the iron's hot. And what I mean by that is, you know, whether it was by, by choice or default with uh, career and family and such, like you went in specifically to hunt, these deer, you know, you kind of, you mainly talked about Mufasa, but you talked about the one you killed before. You kind of went in at a specific time and, you know, you didn't hunt, you didn't log a ton of hours. You just put it at the right time when those deer were there. Yeah. Yeah. And that didn't, that's something I've been doing a lot more of the last couple of years. But before that, I promise you, I have gone day. I used, I used to hunt, all day hunts all the time because I just thought I had to be there. Mm -hmm. 
and I would go days and days and days without even seeing a deer and like just grinding it out and grinding it out. And anymore, it's like, I don't have the time to do that and I need to be more specific. And most recent information probably is my best friend. Cellular cameras now are awesome and just going off history with deer and using that as my most recent information to get into stands. That's probably added a a big level of my success because I plan everything around the history of these deer. And yeah, like you said, striking when the iron's hot, like, and that's where being able to take off work and do certain things has has worked for me because when I shot that buck in 2019, you know, I called off on Sunday night I was like, conditions are perfect for Monday. Like I got to be in there and hunt this buck. Right. And I called my boss and said, Hey, I'm going to be off tomorrow. Oh, good luck hunting. <laughs> and I could do that. <laughs> so now you're running in for 2021 season. You're running into a whole new oh, spectrum here. It's going to be, it's going to be, this is my day off. This is my time to hunt. There's not going to be any picking. <laughs> no picking and choosing other than my Iowa trip. This year is going to be, it's going to be a game of luck. Yeah, that's part of it too. But you know what? Uh, I've learned that luck follows those that are prepared. And I've gathered over the years that you've, you've usually been pretty prepared. <laughs> Best to your ability. Yeah, hopefully you that can. pays off. Yep, yep. So yeah, hopefully that pays off for me again. But if it doesn't, uh, I mean, I've I can't say anything. To go three years with a six and a half, five and a half, and five and a half year old buck in PA, my luck's running out. <laughs> <laughs> it's still uh, it's still a great feat, and that's why uh, that's why I wanted to chat with you. So we've got uh, you said the first week in November you're he- you're going to be in Iowa. I'll be in Iowa. Yep, okay. and. If by some miracle I fill a tag early in Iowa, I may try to squeeze in Illinois or Ohio okay. on my way home. My wife probably won't like that very much, but <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, but she knows. I'll it. still be home when I'm supposed to be home. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, I'm just going to be taking advantage. She knows what she got into when she said, I do, right? Well, she knew what she got into with me. She didn't know there would be three little ones <laughs> shortly on the way. So now they don't. They, they throw a curveball in. <laughs> you got that right. I mean, I'm starting to get to that point myself. Uh, I'm I'm further behind yeah. than you are, but it's a it's a whole new realm of life. It sure is, but it all goes in stages, just like just like the hunting thing, and you know, soon enough they'll be the ones behind the arrow or behind the gun, and Maybe I'll be sitting behind a camera, there and that's go. about it. So, hey, do you got any other uh, little more pieces of advice when it comes to mature deer, or are we about tapped out in the world of mature deer? Yeah, we, talk, we talked about it a little bit, and I'll stress that finding a mature deer, in my opinion, is probably the hardest thing to do. You know, once you find them, Figuring them out and hunting them isn't rocket science. Having the time to go hunt them is another challenge, but finding one, finding one and being able to stay on him, you know, whether he moves from summer to fall patterns or, you know, just 
just finding them is the hardest part. I think that's... You know, sometimes they can fall into your lap and they'll come into the property that you are able to hunt. Other times, you got to work for it. You know, that's summer fall pattern. Times... Yeah. That, yeah, go ahead. That summer to fall pattern thing that you mentioned, um, that is such a huge, huge thing. Um, you know, you, uh, you explained talked about it with Mufasa I experienced it with the the deer I killed this year I called Goliath um didn't yep. have a single picture of that deer the entire year and then beginning of October rolls around bam he's there and it's just that that yeah. flip of a switch when they make that fall shift from their summer range into what they're going to call home for whether it's a month a week whatever that looks like but that's so crucial and that's that's a huge thing um, you know, you, you kind of let off of Mufasa that, that, uh, first week that you were after him. And I mean, the plan worked. It was when he should have been there based on last year and he was there again. That's exactly what I experienced this year. And I think that's so crucial is, is that historical information if you're on these big deer. Yeah, it is. It is nice to have at least one season of history with them because they are creatures of habit and I'll tell you what come come the rut and the season those buck for whatever reason seem to go back to their routines and their habits Mm -hmm. and their spots just like the buck my brother killed that buck never would step close near our property never had a velvet picture of him in all the years we chased him he would shed his antlers there in the winter and he would show up occasionally in the first, second, third week in November. And that was it, three years in a row. So we knew our only opportunity at that buck was November and very far off of, off of like where we normally hunt these buck. It was just one area that we would have a chance at him. Okay. And it worked out. And that was just based on history and, and hoping he would do the same thing. That's a pretty sweet piece of the puzzle to finally put together. Yeah. And when he shot that buck, he didn't know he shot that buck. (laughs) He knew he shot one of the good buck that we had, but had no idea what it was until he found it. And that just was like the icing on the cake to be the buck that we set out to, to kill right there. Absolutely. And you know, He's from North Carolina, so for him to come up here and do that, we left that stand alone. I was like, I'm not touching it until Jay sits it the week he's up here in November. And something about, like, plans like that, I don't need to be the guy pulling the trigger. You, I, you saw that I through and through. Anyone. Yeah. Yep. Just the same. Yep. Yeah. If I can get anyone on a buck... I'm more than happy. Um, I feel like I feel like you're part of that success when it when it happens then. Certainly. Certainly. And that could be as simple as a buddy of mine telling me to get in that stand and kill Mufasa when I was wasn't even really dead set on going to hunt him. Yeah, if you would have talked to me that week leading up to that, I would have probably tried to knock some sense into you and say you need to hunt that deer too, but that's just me. I guarantee it. Yep. <laughs> yep. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know if I was in a funk because I missed the opportunity on that other 10 or what, but same thing with the buck that showed up at your house. Like when he showed up, you knew it was go time. Exactly. 
like you you had to you had to get in there when when the things were right right and if you would have said oh no he's here but i'll you know i'll hunt him next week or something i would have called you crazy exactly and told you to get in your stand <laughs> and that's and i think that's one thing i've started to learn too is you got to rely on people that you trust and have experience with this um you know i had many conversations long conversations on the phone and texts back and forth about you know what would what should be my next move you know what's your take on this and uh i'll never forget the night i went in to hunt that deer with the information i had leading up to it i was talking to my buddy he just goes you're gonna kill that deer tonight he goes it's it's just too foolproof he goes you gotta get in there and you gotta kill him and sure enough, I did. And it's, nice. it's, it's so great. Cause you can share that with, with your buddies and that's part of that too. But I mean, you really need that for that mental chess game. You do. And you do. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. There's nothing better than a group of guys that share the same passion that you can bounce all your, your ups and downs off of all season long. <laughs> yeah. And every time you get a crazy idea, they can tell you that it's crazy or they can tell you hey, it just might work. Yep. Yeah, there's nothing better than that. Well, Cole, um, I can't thank you enough for sharing that story and sharing your uh, your point of view on everything with that. Um, good luck in Iowa. And um, another little little tidbit here. Um, I know you're a fanatic about shed hunting, and I think there's going to come a time and point where I wouldn't mind chatting about that with you again. No, I'd love to come back on, chat shed hunting with you, or talk about how my Iowa season win and see how things went for you too. So anytime you want to have me back on, just let me know. Uh, you know, I did the podcasting thing a little bit, but life got busy. So if I can come on and chat with you, I'm more than happy to. It does. It does. So where are you at right now with, uh, relive the hunt? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So we did the podcast for relive the hunt. Um, we basically just, have a few videos on YouTube and it's just a group of friends that, that are doing it. Um, my life got busy. Uh, my co-host just got married now. Really our timing was what, what put an end to that. Mm-hmm. Um, his work schedule and my work schedule, but if we ever figure it out, we'll get it going back up again. It's not a priority in either of our lives. We just do it for fun. And that's just to share hunting stories. That's all it was. Mm-hmm reliving the hunts we relive relive our seasons maybe when we fire it back up we'll we'll relive your buck because i know that's a good one so <laughs> absolutely and that's that's where that is we're still relevant on social media but that's pretty much it pictures and videos here and there you know we were just talking about that a few weeks ago with john royer at leatherwood outdoors um you know they're a big youtube channel yep. for i don't know how many 10 15 years i don't know something uh, like forever that. now it feels like forever i mean i feel yep. like i was a kid in high school like trying to get out of class to watch you know leatherwood videos yeah i remember watching them way back when <laughs> but uh, i mean i was talking about the same thing with him he's like you know it's just it's just different now you know guys get married you know have kids have families settle down you know maybe they don't want to film hunts the same way when they want to just do things differently he's like it just changes life gets in the way and you know doing you know just the same as this uh, as the pennsylvania woodsman podcast i mean we're uh we're, we're all about sharing and helping people and stuff and it's uh it's a, a thing that i hope continues to roll and we'll see what happens but uh it's been fun thus far and i'm, I'm hoping people enjoy these stories yeah absolutely I enjoy it. I know that. I think it's awesome that you guys are doing it. You're on a killer platform, and 
hopefully it continues to grow for you. I sure hope so. But, well, Cole, I'll let you go. Um, I'm assuming kids and wife are in bed, so you'll probably have to slip back to bed. But, uh, yep. <laughs> until next time. Yeah, they should be. Until next time, hopefully. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks, Cole. You have a good one. You too. Thanks.